it's just amazing what's happening and how, yeah. you know, how fast things are happening. But it still comes back down to bedding it into the core business exactly. practice and Correct. innovation, one of yeah. them. And innovation then drives, you know, marketing and drive, well, it's a little bit of back and forth there, but it drives certainly the procurement, who you buy and what you buy. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining in today. I have to offer apologies in advance because my audio is a bit off. It's a bit choppy in this episode. I don't know why. After 140 episodes, every once in a while it happens. But the recording with Jim Fava is very good, and I did not want to have to redo it because it's it's an excellent episode, and he talks about the first three golden rules and life cycle analysis. So decided to release it as is, and again, apologies in advance for my choppy audio. Now enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week out there. And well, summer's still going for us as we record this, so hopefully you're enjoying your summer and had a having a chance to get away for a little bit here and there. My guest today has been here before, Jim Fava, and uh, you know Jim has spent his career providing guidance, tools, and expertise that helps enable organizations to be more environmentally responsible and sustainable. And he's also given the mantra, whether he takes it or not, is the father of modern-day life cycle assessment. And uh, we had a great discussion last time, and Jim took us through the 10 golden rules. And we thought, let's spend some time now going into some of those rules. So we're going to go into a couple of them today. I like to think of them as numbers, rules six and four. But Jim, welcome back to the show. Well, Paul, thanks for the opportunity to come back and, and visit and, and have a conversation with you. I mean, the whole topic of innovation and sustainability are certainly yeah. dear to my heart. And so it's something that I've been working on for, for many years. So it's great to have an opportunity to continue to participate with you. Yeah. And it's fun to see it gaining traction. In our business, we see more and more customers are putting deliverables as part of their their gated governance process that, that address product sustainability factors. And they're really looking at portfolios now, creating portfolios that, that help them understand if they're making progress on sustainability. So it, it's taking root. I think the last time we talked, I don't, I don't recall how many of our customers had done, but I can tell you now it, it's, a, it's more. So it's fun to see it grow. So Jim, let's talk about, I mean, let's step us through, pick whichever rules and how you want to go through with this today. And we'll do this again, just so people are listening. This is, we're going to go through all 10 eventually, but we'll tackle them in bite-sized chunks. Yeah. Paul, let me just sort of start a little bit with the sort of putting in context of why, you know, I think. You've been talking about innovation, and I've been talking about innovation, and why sustainability yeah. embedded in innovation, I think, is key. But it'd be interesting when I was sort of reflecting on sort of the conversation we're going to have today and in the subsequent uh, podcast is sort of how did I get involved with this? And we talked about this yeah. a little bit last time, but I but I wanted to sort of briefly sort of outline a couple key things when I look back in terms of triggers or happening. And the one I shared before was uh, going around the world on an oceanographic research vessel in the late 60s. 
And then, you know, it was before in the U.S., before the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency uh, was, was created. And what I found was that there were pollution everywhere, in the oceans, on the land, when you've gone to the uh-huh. ports and things like that. And I realized pretty clearly that it wasn't just a U.S. issue, it was a global issue. And it really hit hard that humans were having an amazingly negative, you know, impact on, yeah, the, yeah. on the earth you know, ocean lands and all that kind of kind of thing. So I used that as an emphasis to go back back to school. And so when I started, the focus on the environment really was tied back to the manufacturing site. You know, you can't put it in the air, water, and land. So there was a lot of pollution control kind of requirements yeah, that were put in place, not right. only in the U.S., but around the world. And then we moved into preventing it, not just controlling it, but you know, preventing it. And then it's just exploded. You've got different regions, you've got governments, you've got sort of, yeah. you know, the whole companies, small, medium-sized enterprise, innovators, enterprise level. I mean, it just was everywhere. And so when I take a step back on and looking at the, the, the career, what I realized, and this is why the innovation and sustainability is so critical, what I began to realize was companies and focus in my career has been on companies and businesses, is that they were making their money and they were in business because they were providing services and products that the consumer and customer were needed. And they were doing sustainability and environmental as well. But it was their business model was providing the purpose, but providing that products and and services. And so when I looked at innovation, you know, and how innovation played into that, you know, my PhD dissertation, you know, years and years ago, we talked about, you know, when did some of this start? I had, it was typed on an IBM Select typewriter. I could go back one space <laughs> and write it out. And then you, yeah. then you, if you made four errors and you had to retype the whole page. Now, you and I are having this podcast sharing yeah. things that are happening globally you know, around the world, which is quite wonderful. And so I think I see that from a transitioning standpoint uh, is very important. And so part of the, the golden rules that we've been, we'll be talking about today, but a key part of that is how do I take that as an innovator or an innovator engineer and do something differently? And so that's yeah. where we really want to try to really ultimately get to. The golden rules is sort of a, a nice sort of direction and help you understand where you are and where you need might need to be. But the right. key is, what do I do different? What do I do differently yeah. Monday morning when I go to work? And so that's sort of laying that that foundation. And the other yeah, thing yeah. that I think was interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. No, I was going to say the other thing that I think at the same period where you're talking about that that evolution is, I know the people I engage with, both socially, professionally, personally, what have you. The topic is is now there. I would say you know it, that's happened in parallel with all of that. You know, people are more aware. People are more discussing the issues, and you know, they're just more aware now. We have forever chemicals, right? That's all over the news now. I I think five yeah. years ago, nobody ever heard of them, right? And I think you're 100 percent right there. And there's an awareness there. And so, sort of, what is sustainability, and why is it important? I think people are are getting at. But when I start thinking about the innovation and the innovative energy engineer that we've been talking to over the years, we find that it's easier for them to deal with one issue like energy. I can design and innovate my product to reduce the amount of energy. 
Yeah, if you right. try complex that in terms of energy and water and biodiversity, I don't know how to do that. So it's yeah. easier to keep it single, you know, on a single impact. And so, you know, why part of my career, what I've been doing is that back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, we thought we had a better idea. And this is where the father of LCA sort of came about. I don't <laughs> think I can really claim that because there are hundreds no, and hundreds people of people thousands, thousands of people. <laughs> doing it. But yeah, yeah. I was fortunate enough to chair a couple of workshops back in the early 90s, where we did put a stake in the ground of what life cycle assessment is. And so this better idea was that we would develop the tool of life cycle assessment, it ultimately became life cycle thinking as well, to really help companies understand the impacts over the entire life cycle, so that they can provide that information that they could use to make a greener or more sustainable yeah. product. And so the life cycle information really provides the, the impacts over the full range of the, uh, of the full life cycle stages. It looks at alternative, you know, in terms of environmental and social benefits that might be arranged from different types of material use or different types of technologies. And it's a purpose also as those to sort of permit unintended consequences kind of thing going forward and hopefully to identify new technologies and questions. So this whole life cycle tool, and we'll get into that, you know, later, but I think is is foundational to why we're yeah. sort of moving in this in this direction. Great perspective. So moving on to the <laughs> the 10 golden rules and I you know you and I have talked about okay which ones are the most important and I don't think there's any one that's more important than another because they all play a role for helping people understand what sustainability is and what life cycle is and how do you begin to embed it into your decision-making process. But there are two that really stood out to me, and I thought that would be good for our conversation. One is our golden rule number six, um, without a seat, three legs of a stool are useless. So, okay, what in the hell does that mean? Well. <laughs> The three legs are things like social, you know, economics, and environment. So, which is the sort of the foundation of sustainable development early on, people thought about it. But to have a stool, you got to have a seat. And so, you got to put those legs together. And the seat is the governance. So, you know, without that seat, you know, the three legs of the stool are, are useless. And so, to me, as we begin to move forward, with embedding, and this is your point earlier, people are beginning to become aware of sustainability and why it's important in the innovation space, but then how do I do it? And a key part of that, you know, how do I do it is really moving towards this, the governance piece of, yeah. of that. And I found over the years, we've had companies who were very active. There was one utility company in the Midwest of the US that became sort of a leader in this whole life cycle and there was a senior manager in the, at the executive level that was fully supportive. So he had an individual within his organization that was doing life cycle work. And he would love to go to these board meetings or senior leadership meetings and tell this little story. Hey, Bill, to his, his colleague, I understand my guy just saved you X amount of dollars. And he said, what? And they really became, he became a champion promoting this sort of life cycle into the decision-making process. But unfortunately, when the guy left, it vanished, yeah. went away. So, and that's yeah. happening more and more over the time. So unless it's bedded into the organization it and there's governance, it just doesn't happen. 
And so you look at companies like BASF and their Stateable Solution Steering, which is a portfolio analysis. You mentioned portfolio analysis a minute ago, and that's key. That's what companies are doing for innovation. And they have a, I don't Clint coming from the US and Clint Eastwood, the good, bad, and the ugly. They call it professionally, obviously, but you have (laughs) the category to pull in the accelerator. And the ones in the challenge and ones, you know, in in between. And they then manage that. They've got a governance, they've got a process, and all products are put into one of those four buckets. Uh, mm-hmm. and they make decisions mm-hmm. about what they're gonna do. The accelerator, you know, gets yeah. you know pre- pre- preference because customer is interested. The ones down in the challenge are ones that you basically say, okay, we're gonna fix or we're gonna get rid of. So it right. becomes a governance you know, tool. And to me, that's really one good example where companies are beginning to, to embed it into their decision-making process, particularly in the innovation process. But when you say governance, what do you mean by governance? And I guess right. one of the other golden rules we'll talk about, and there's a lot of ways of thinking about it, but to me, it was like there's five things that fall into what we what sort of represents a good governance. One is that you got to have a vision. You got to have clarity of where you want to go for perspective, and that's the board or CEO level kind of a direction. Two, you got to have skills. Yeah. You got to have people. You got to have tools. You got to have the data. You got the the process information. Thirdly, you got to have incentives. You got to have metrics, KPIs. You know, my performance review is going to include you know sustainability in the innovation process. And you got to have resources. You got to have some money. You got to have some you know people, and you got to know who the stakeholders are going forward. And and fifth, you got to have an action plan. You got, okay, what do I do? How do I do it? You know, what's that action plan? Yeah. And I think if you get those five, then you've got a solid governance. And there's obviously modifications, each company's kind of thing. So that's what we talk about, golden rule number six. Without a seat, mm-hmm. three legs of a stool are useless. So to me, governance is a key foundation for any successful embedding sustainability into the innovation process. That governance really is part of that seat, isn't it? Yeah, it's what, what holds it holds it together, I guess, in a way. Would that be fair? Oh, yeah. No question about it. The incentives I found rather interesting. I'd like to hear your opinion on, you know, at what levels? Or do you see incentives all the way up and down? I mean, if you're a board that's giving direction, setting direction, obviously the CEO has the incentives. And we see that when we read annual reports. And and when you see those companies that put sustainability in their annual reports, I mean, the the incentives are there at the top. But I like this idea of now cascading that down. And I, I don't know that I don't have the experience to say one way or another how many companies actually do that. But I think it's a great idea to put it all the way down and give that incentive to the people who are all throughout the organization who are the ones that really, at the end of the day, the things they do are the ones that have a, they have a great impact on, on success around those that achieving the vision you talked about. One of the key transitions or maybe transformations that we're seeing in the, in the last five years, you know, you've talked about five years ago, you've got at the enterprise level, you've got all of these corporate sustainability reports, those guidelines. The investment community is committed to putting out, yeah. you know, what they are looking for for investment. Uh, but really, to me, more at the enterprise level, 
at the corporate level, you know, so yeah. on the board level CEO, I would really be, you know, be concerned about it. But there's also, you realize, and this is my, one of my messages of why I got involved with this is that companies business is really driven by their ability to bring revenue in and bring revenue in at a way that's is less than their cost of operating. I mean, it's pretty, pretty basic. And where, how do they bring money in? Well, each company is different and where they are in the supply chain, you know, consumer, customer, or a supplier, or, you know, a Home Depot kind of thing that makes a, you know, makes a difference. But to me, when you come down to how companies make the money, it's really at that product service level. And we have not yet, and this is where I think, you know, innovation is key. And I think people are beginning to realize that the key is then to translate those high level corporate enterprise level, you know, goals down through the organization into what I, this we've been thinking about right now is the product manager, the person who's got responsibility for bringing product A, either the, you know, sort of a, a renewed version of a, you know, existing product or a brand new product to market. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of the, the focus is going to be. And quite frankly, you know, have the sustainability officer or the, the people working on environment sustainability often now are sort of reporting to legal departments and companies. And what's happening is that we need to have those people reporting to the technology or innovation arms of companies. And okay. the example was that we had a, through a, a big multinational company in Connecticut, we did a workshop with them a few years ago on eco-design. And we had a lot of the environment, health and safety people in the room. And it was, it was great. They said, okay, the only thing the company is really concerned about is wearing their hat, environment, health and safety, is reducing my cost. Right. Um, so they said, well, okay. this idea of eco-design is nice, but not relevant to me. Uh, but there was two people from technology in the room. And the director of technology says, well, if moving on an eco-design or, you know, more sustainable material or more, you know, more energy efficient will help me sell or create a better relationship with my customer, I'm for it. So it really sort of led into that direction. So now you're getting the technology department, not the EH&S department, beginning to think about, you know, sustainability. And then what they do is really work on the products uh category so this is where i really do see the the critical element now is to really move us from the enterprise level down to the through the business unit to actually the individual product manager who's on the ground and who could really make the changes on a day-to-day basis right right yeah those decisions those those Day-to-day decisions is where, at the end of the day, a lot of it happens. So that was great. Well, what's, let's go through the second rule, the other okay, kind of part good. of this thing. The, um, the second rule is sort of just the last example, sort of spoke and transition to that, was speak the language of your audience. And coming yeah. from the environmental business and the sustainability side and using the life cycle, you know, as an example, you know, we often come at it from from a you know, environmental perspective of, you know, it's used less energy or, you know, it's got a eutrophication yeah. or acid rain and something that the engineer really can't do, you know, anything about, 
you know, kind of perspective. Mm, yeah. And so one of the things that we really are finding is that there needs to be a translation and it's sort of a, you know, a two-way kind of translation where you're really working at the engineer innovation team needs to be able to communicate to the, you know, to the sustainability folks, what are the, you know, the attributes or what are the things that they can do from an innovation standpoint? And mm. the uh, sustainability yeah. folks and lifecycle folks need to be able to understand that and then begin to translate it back to the, the way the engineers can talk about. So my example of the, the, the Connecticut company, you know, when they were looking at it strictly from a EH and S folks were looking at it strictly from a cost reduction perspective where operational yeah. efficiency or employee productivity, you know, were sort of part of. But the, the technology director was there looking at, well, it's a revenue or it could be a brand, you know, enhancement kind of thing. And so you began to look at over the years, we had four basic business values, growing revenue, enhancing your brand, reducing your cost or mitigating risk. And when you begin to talk about sort of sustainability as a way of beginning to help into one or more of those sort of business values and speak that language, then all of a mm -hmm. sudden you're getting, it's being resonated, you know, by the, you know, you know, uh, by the senior manager and you're getting actions. I mean, I did a workshop in New Zealand a few years ago where we had 40 people sort of representing different levels of business as well as from this environmental sustainability area. And we talked about at the very beginning, I said, think about a project that you had wanted to get funded and you didn't were able to get funded. And then we went through a four hour workshop where we really talked about those four sort of business values and then examples. And they broke into small groups and each and really shared some of their own little experiences kind of thing. And I asked at the very end of the workshop, I said, okay, if you use the language that you heard and learned today, do you think you would get, uh, you know, your project funded? And everybody raised their hand. Wow. So I think it was yeah. just a good example where how critical it is to be able to speak that, you know, that, that language. Yeah. The other example is not as much from the innovation side, but just how we in the environmental sustainability field just speak our language. And no one knows. The, we all seem to understand it among ourselves, but people <laughs> yeah. outside the field get to right. When I started Five Winds, we, we had an international organization for standardization, ISO meeting in, uh, in San Francisco. So we had the four partners, one Germany and two, two uh, Canadian and myself. We met in a little breakfast place outside of where the meeting was. And we actually had a nice two-hour conversation about where we're going to take the company and how we're going to help companies understand sustainability and embed it into their business more at the enterprise level at that point, but also beginning to talk about the product. And this couple came up to us afterwards or when they were leaving and they, they came up and they said, you know, we've been listening to you for a while. To be honest with you, we have no idea what you're talking about. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. All right. That was sort of my first wake up call that we've got yeah, to be able to speak sure. the language of of the user. And the other wake up call was my my dad for, you know, unfortunately died a couple of summers ago at 101. And for 50 some years, he'd all, or later than that, but he would always come up to me and said, Jimmy, what do you do again? 
Uh, so I, I have been able. So part of my goal is to how do you work on doing that translation? Yeah, yeah right. And right. an example yeah. where they where they translated well was chemical, uh, not a chemical company, but a computer company. Early on, tried to embed sustainability into the into the um, into the innovation process, and they brought one of their environmental people. And put them as the eco design into the innovation team and, um, and try to make that happen. But the environmental person was, oh, just speaking language of the environment and did not understand the, the innovation technology. So yeah. after a while, they, they stopped that and took one of the engineers and put him in, you know, was her, put her in that role. And what they ended up doing was then providing her with all that information about you know, sustainability and life cycle and where the hotspots were and all the kinds of things that you would need to look at and be concerned with. And then the environmental and health and safety and sustainability people were resource to her. And that worked great because she was able to speak the language of of the innovation team. So that's just a couple of examples where, to me, having that ability to communicate is a very key part of, you know, how we go and how it works kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I like that. I like that, Jim. I'm thinking in that example, there was a person, this, 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 this person, she was able to, she was able to, I guess, make that translation. She was able to look, I'm going to spend my time. I'm going to understand these terms in sustainability. Maybe she had an interest or for whatever reason, she was able to do that because she came out of technology she could make that bridge that in that example, the other person or people could not. And I think, I guess you could come at that from either side, right? You could say, you know, an environmental person who really understands that world, sustainability and all those factors and all those parts of life cycle analysis could maybe learn the, the technology side well enough to speak in, in that. But it's almost like you're, you're talking in another language. You're talking in another country, right? You're, you got to be able, somebody's got to be able to make that bridge. Have you seen any, any particular ways or techniques where that's done maybe better or how to do that, that have worked for companies? Yeah, I don't know if there's any, I mean, it's sort of that each company is going to be different and the languages are different, but because yeah. um, each company have their own language related to innovation yeah. and there's some generic yeah. language, but then there are their own procedures and stage gate yeah. and, in different stages we're in a stage gate but i do think i guess the thing that i was thinking of that uh plays out is that we worked in the in the life cycle field and the life cycle assessment had when we first created in 1990 it had inventory what is the what do you release into the environment from cradle to cradle secondly what were the impacts of that and thirdly you know what can you do to improve Uh, and that was fine but when you came right down to actually implementing that, what we found to really needed to be added was what we call a goal and scope definition. And that goal okay. and scope definition is where you're basically at the very beginning. You're getting the people who are going to be managing the, the life cycle work, whether it's a, within the company or consulting or whatever, and managing life cycle work. And you're bringing the people who may be doing the data collection and, and the analysis, but you're also getting the people in the room, the users of that, who's, who are going to use the outcome of that. 
Yeah. And so you're beginning yeah. to translate life cycle is what it isn't, you know, how the results can be used and from an educational, you know, standpoint. And I found from success of LCA and using life cycle uh, into a business, having them, the, the users of that information engaged initially, immediately, and throughout yeah. the process, we've had more success than somebody who says, okay, Bill, you go out and do this LCA and give me the results. And then when you get the results, they say, I don't understand this. What's, it doesn't go anywhere. Exactly. So you've got to get them <laughs> right, engaged. Right. And then they can, they, they can see how that, and that works. I find that seems to work. And when you look at, you know, experiences of companies of how do you begin to translate, you know, getting that engaged early and throughout is a very critical step. It's not a technical yeah. step, but it's a very much a people-oriented soft skill development, but it works. Yeah. No, I like that. And I like the fact it is a people thing, is a people skill. You don't want somebody preparing all this information, let's say for a gate decision, a gated decision where company's going to make a real decision and the, the decision maker, the terminology is, I don't know whatever terminology is appropriate for carbon reduction, right? But, or, you know, these, these terms, <laughs> they're like, okay, I don't know what that means. How can I, how can I make a decision Based on a piece of data, I don't understand. So I, I really right. think you're spot on with that translation. It's, it's, it's critical to making good governance decisions, without a doubt. No. The other part that when we, when we share this with the sort of the technical and not the engineering technical, but the sustainability folks, you know, we say, well, you really need to, you know, translate it, and you know, the power of artificial or artificial intelligence now. It's amazing because companies or people say, hey, I'm going to be out of a job. I, I focus on the data collection side of this. And then I said, well, no, you're not going to be out of the job because there's going to be more and more demand for that sustainability life yes. cycle information in a product. And your role will not be sitting in front of the computer collecting the data because maybe some of that could be done through the artificial intelligence. Uh, but your role will be to do that interpretation. Yeah. Uh, and provide the knowledge or, you know, information and knowledge that can be yeah. used by the decision maker exactly. to help make more informed decisions. So that, yeah. to me, yeah. is an exciting. The opportunities are just enormous, you know, for yeah. that to, yeah, uh, agree. You know, to work agree. for. I don't know if you, do you see well, that in the, from, a, your, from the, your own experience in the innovation? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of, there's, there's that ability that, only a human has right now to assess all of it. You know, you know, factors coming from an AI, data coming from here, you know, my experience I have of, of doing the job I've been doing, bringing all that together. You're absolutely right. That's, that's the value that people can provide without having to do a lot of legwork uh, that they've maybe historically had to do. So I'm seeing that as well. Absolutely. It's fun to watch. I think it's exciting. Yeah, no, it is. You're right, Paul. It's it's fun to watch, and I guess I, from my career wise, and I, that's why I'm still active. I've retired at the end of December 2022, but I'm still finding it. It's, it's just social media search. It's just amazing what's happening and yeah. how you know how fast things are happening. But it still comes back down to betting it into the core business exactly. practice and Correct. innovation. One of yep. them, and innovation then drives. You know, marketing and well, it's a little bit of big back and forth there, but it drives certainly the procurement, who you buy and what you buy, and as part yeah. of your your yeah. design. 
The other thing I wanted, just one quick point, is that I think this is, and it goes back to the computer example of where the person resides. I think if we're really going to be embedding sustainability into the business practice of innovation, where that sustainability department or part of that group reports to, I think yeah. is going to be an evolution. I read something the other day, I think it was somebody from GM, said that for them, innovation is and sustainability is really part of the innovation technology department. Mm-hmm. So people in sustainability should be part of that department, not over here in a different different group. You're trying to right. break down those silos. And this is yeah. by embedding people into the innovation, you're bringing the right people who are going to be helping to make those sustainability yeah. decisions yeah. and in, inform the innovators, you know, working closer closer together. So this co-creation yeah. word that I've been using a lot because you're trying to co-create not just from a you know a strict innovation standpoint where you're doing cost and performance yeah. and reliability and some of the traditional things and adding sustainability. So you need to have that that skill and knowledge, an integral part of the whole stage gate process. Yeah, right. Reminds me a little bit in, in the software world where if you go back years ago, there was a UI UX design person did their stuff, handed over the transom to the engine the software developer who codes it, right? And it just totally inefficient and ineffective. And then when they brought those two together, work side by side, what a leap in terms of making software that was actually usable. And it's the same thing. You, you, you could put the sustainability people in a review capacity or an outside advisory capacity. Or you can just make them part of the people team of people who are doing the work. And I think you're absolutely right. That that is way different. And I'm expecting, you know, to be way more effective. We'll see as as time plays out. So I'm glad to hear the GM example of a company that, you know, has said that. You know, this is is how we do it. And I'm gonna certainly keep my ears and eyes open for to watch how people are doing that. Yeah, I think it's some you're right. I think it's something that it's chicken and egg, but it's some, yeah. somewhere I think there's a there's a there's a trend. I mean there was some work we had done with New York City Transit a few years ago and we had as part of our product sustainability roundtable. And one of the things that came out of that, they were looking at questioning how they were cleaning buses in New York City Transit. And what they were doing before, they were buying, I don't know, fifty different fifty gallon barrels of cleaning material and cleaning each, you know, the bus kind of thing. But after every barrel, there was some, it was like two or three or four gallons left that they just didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't use. But then someone who wanted to get in the business and into selling there sold 50 of 500 gallon totes of cleaning <laughs> material. Okay. Yeah. First cost for more, but the total cost of ownership or operation was less yeah. because yeah. you have less waste than Cost. It was like millions of dollars difference when you look at yeah. something as big as the New York City Transit. And the dilemma was why it was so difficult. And this goes back to the governance. The, the person who bought it is one person, one vice president level. The person who uses it is another vice yeah. president level. <laughs> and then you had to go up to the senior vice. I'm not sure the right term, but the senior vice president yeah. level. And that yeah. People didn't want to do that. It took forever and ever and multiple, you know, physical year kind of things. But that's a kind of example in a big organization where you have the right idea, 
um, and you got the, the momentum and the logic, but you got to go up this silo and the yeah. two silos got to get together way yeah. up here. So any way that you can bring them together at, at the earlier at down point right. where it's operational, we're likely yeah. to get stage. I think it's a great example, Jim. Well, listen, it's been a great discussion. Anything as you reflect on it, you think we missed for today? I mean, obviously, we're going to do more of these. We're going to go through other examples and other other rules. And you've been so kind to share all this knowledge. And I really, really, really appreciate it. Our, our listener feedback has been has been good on it. So thanks for doing that. But anything today that you think? Yeah, the only thing I'd like to say, Paul, is just a sort of a final Final comment is that uh, I think the time is to well two things. One is it, it's to do it now. It's not we're not going to wait five years from now. I'm not. I retire in three years. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I, right. It's, it's here. It's yeah. important to do to do now. And the reality is you're going to do something different. Um, what you're doing now likely change. It will still be providing a function, but it's going to be different. And so I think right. those two things. It, it's not. It's going to be a little scary, but I think to accomplish what we have to accomplish, we have to do it now, and we have to realize that change is just is, is just part of what we have to do to make it happen. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great advice to end end on, Jim. So, thanks again for joining us. Hey, just one quick thing: okay. You're, how's your podcast going? You still doing that? Yeah, we are. We're having uh, the same kind of summer. Uh, uh, holiday time, but we are, yeah, we've got three podcasts Good. out and we've got That's our uh, fourth one scheduled that we're going to be uh, recording in a week. And then there's a whole series after that. And then we're going to be interviewing people who've actually embedded sustainability into the, into the innovation process and learn what, what worked, what didn't work and, you know, successes yeah. they have so we can share it with right. everybody. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, remind us all what the name of that podcast is, and then we'll make sure we have it in the show notes like the last time. But it's always good to mention it. Yeah, it's five lives to fifty. So it's yeah. recognizing that a you know a product has you know five lives, you know, and then there'll be five lives between now and and twenty fifty. Perspective. So. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us. We'll be talking real soon. Ordovita. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining. I hope you enjoyed that. As I said, Jim has just got the experience and the credentials, and it's fun to listen to him, and, and it just makes sense. We'll do more with Jim, so stay tuned for that. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.